Russia targets Kyiv overnight in ninth attack this month. Andrew E. Kramer Matthew Poke Big Chris Buckley Anushka Pottle David E. Sanger Mark Santora Jim Tankersley. KYIV, Ukraine, explosions and the whooshing noises of air defense missiles being launched, rattled, Kyiv early Thursday in the latest of a series of Russian aerial assaults on the Ukrainian capital this month. The early morning duel in the sky over Kyiv between air defenses and missiles was the ninth attack on Kyiv this month. The city was targeted with several cruise missiles, all of which were shot down by air defenses, local officials said. Debris from an intercepted missile fell in one neighborhood of the capital and caused a fire, said Serhi Popko, the city's military administrator, in a post on social media. There were no immediate injuries, he said. The flurry of missiles were followed by reconnaissance drones deployed over the capital, he added. Missile strikes were also launched overnight on the southern port city of Odessa, where one got past air defenses and hit an industrial infrastructure target, city officials said. One civilian was killed and two others were injured, according to the Ukrainian military's southern command. Air defenses intercepted 29 of 30 missiles fired at Ukraine overnight, the country's military said. Kyiv in particular has been subject to attack after attack in recent weeks, after a period of relative calm, testing the limits of the capital's air defenses. Thursday's assault came after Russian and U.S. officials had said earlier this week that a Patriot missile system shielding the city from ballistic missiles had been damaged in an earlier barrage, though U.S. officials said the system remained operational. In that attack, also before dawn early Tuesday, Ukraine's air defenses intercepted six hypersonic Kinzhal, or Dagger, missiles fired by Russia, several Ukrainian officials and one American official said. Explosions had lit up the sky over the city with falling, flaming debris that wounded at least three people on the ground. These long-range, fast-flying munitions travel at many times the speed of sound. Ukraine had no means to intercept them before the arrival of Patriot air defense systems. It had been unclear whether even the Patriot could shoot them down before Ukraine's Air Force said earlier this month it had for the first time intercepted a Kinzhal using a Patriot. An explosion derailed a freight train carrying grain in the Russian-occupied region of Crimea on Thursday morning, local officials said, the latest in a quickly growing series of blasts that have hit Russian infrastructure as Kyiv prepares a long-anticipated counteroffensive. Rail services were interrupted between the cities of Simferopol and Sevastopol, according to Sergei Aksyonov, Crimea's Russian-installed governor, who said there were no injuries. Russia's state news agency RIA Novosti, citing a Crimean transport minister, said eight cars had derailed. The railway operator said that unauthorized persons were behind the derailment, suggesting that it may have been an act of sabotage. There was no immediate comment from Ukrainian authorities, who typically maintain a policy of strategic ambiguity about strikes in Crimea, the Ukrainian peninsula that Russia illegally annexed in 2014. Crimea is critically important to Moscow's control over occupied territories in southern and eastern Ukraine and plays a role in supplying Russian troops. Military experts say that attacks on infrastructure serve to disrupt Russian military plans and make it harder for Moscow to prepare for Ukraine's expected counteroffensive. Video verified by The New York Times showed that the train derailed on the outskirts of Simferopol. It was not immediately clear whether the train was moving at the time. 
Crimea has been subject to attacks since Russia began its full-scale invasion of Ukraine just under 15 months ago, including an explosion that severely damaged the bridge that links Russia to Crimea last October. In recent weeks, pro-Russian officials have also accused Ukraine of launching drone strikes on the peninsula. In one example, a drone attack on a fuel depot in Sevastopol set off an enormous fire in late April. Video of that attack showed a thick cloud of dark smoke above the port city, which is home to the Russian Navy's Black Sea Fleet. There have also been attacks on targets in Bryansk, a region of Russia close to the Ukrainian border. This month two trains were derailed in the region, according to local officials. The frequency of these attacks and of blasts within Russia's borders has accelerated as Ukraine prepares a counteroffensive to retake territory occupied by Russian forces. Ukraine's military leaders have not named the direction or timing of such a push, but one possible location is the Russian-occupied regions immediately north of Crimea. China's most senior diplomat to visit Ukraine since Russia's full-scale invasion has finished talks with President Volodymyr Zelensky and other officials, with no apparent breakthrough in Beijing's efforts to promote a ceasefire. The Chinese diplomat, Li Hui, instead played down the prospects of a sudden shift, according to an official summary of his meetings in Ukraine, released by the Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs, on Thursday. Mr. Li met with Mr. Zelensky, Ukraine's foreign minister, Dmitro Kaleba, and other officials in Kiev over the past two days, the summary said. There is no magical remedy for defusing the crisis, Mr. Li said, according to the Chinese summary. This needs all the parties to start from themselves, build up mutual trust and create the conditions for cessation of war and for peace talks. Mr. Li's visit to Ukraine was part of a tour across Europe to promote Beijing's potential role in ending the war. He is scheduled to travel on to Poland, France, Germany and Russia for communication on a political settlement of the Ukraine crisis, the Chinese Foreign Ministry said last week. Mr. Li, a former ambassador to Moscow whose official title is now Special Representative on Eurasian Affairs, has been promoting a broad, 12-point framework issued by Beijing in February as a starting point for peace efforts. But neither the Chinese nor the Ukrainian account of Mr. Li's talks in Ukraine gave any sign that Beijing's global influence has narrowed the gulf between Kiev and Moscow. Ukraine has been wary of Chinese declarations about its role as a potential peace broker because Beijing is close to Russia and its president, Vladimir V. Putin. Even now, more than a year into the fighting, Chinese officials generally avoid using the words war or invasion to describe the conflict. Other international leaders have also stepped forward as potential brokers to help end the war, including the presidents of France and Brazil, as well as Pope Francis. But both Moscow and Kiev appear to be focused on making gains in fighting over the coming months before considering their positions in any talks. Mr. Kaleba, the Ukrainian foreign minister, told Mr. Lee that Kiev does not accept any proposals involving the loss of territory or the freezing of the conflict, according to a statement from the Ukrainian ministry on Wednesday. It added that Mr. Kaleba had suggested China support Ukraine's peace plan, which calls for Russia to withdraw from all Ukrainian territory. Still, Mr. Li's tour also appears to be aimed at blunting European criticism that China has put preserving its relationship with Russia ahead of its concern for Ukraine's sovereignty and its wartime casualties. 
Mr. Li's role in seeking to end the war was announced last month, shortly after China's leader, Xi Jinping, held his first phone call with Mr. Zelensky since Russia began its invasion last year. China, Mr. Li told his Ukrainian hosts, wants to encourage the international community to form the greatest common denominator toward defusing the Ukraine crisis, the official Chinese summary of the talk said. China has always plays a constructive role in its own way in easing the humanitarian situation of Ukrainians. In a bleak but limited accounting of the damage that Russia's war has exacted on Ukrainian households, a new government program to help repair damaged homes has drawn more than 10,000 applications in its first week, Ukrainian officials said. The majority of applications sought assistance for repairing apartments, not individual houses, the country's restoration ministry said. Russia has frequently targeted large apartment blocks in one of its deadliest assaults, a rocket, fired into a nine-story residential building in the central city of Yemen last month killed at least 23 people, including four children. The Restoration Ministry, formerly known as the Ministry for Communities, Territories and Infrastructure Development, said that about a third of the applications originated in the battered northeastern region of Kharkiv, where residents are picking up the pieces of their lives after enduring nearly seven months of Russian occupation last year. Ukrainian forces liberated the region in September, and many returning residents have found their homes in ruins. In the city of Kharkiv alone, roughly 4,500 homes were severely damaged, the mayor, Ayer Tarakov, said in January. He has estimated the total cost of reconstruction to be $9.5 billion, and the city has been so transformed by repeated Russian bombardment that it is seeking to protect civilians while rebuilding by installing fortified concrete shelters at bus stops and adding underground parking lots that double as bomb shelters to newly built apartment blocks. The Restoration Ministry's home repair effort, known as the Air Recovery Program, is currently limited in scope and only intended to help pay for minor damage caused since the start of the war in February 2022. It offers people in unoccupied territories up to 200,000 hryvnia, or roughly $5,400, for repairs. The numbers are hardly a full accounting of the damage in Ukraine, which the World Bank has estimated will cost hundreds of billions of dollars to reconstruct. Millions of people have become refugees or are displaced, millions have been pushed into poverty, untold numbers of civilians and an even greater number of soldiers have died. The country's energy infrastructure, while functioning, has been subjected to repeated Russian strikes. Documenting the destruction in occupied territories and finding a way to compensate Ukrainians whose homes are in those areas remains a difficult issue, Alina Shulyak, the head of President Volodymyr Zelensky's Servant of the People Party, said in a statement last month. Russia has illegally annexed four regions of Ukraine, Donetsk, Kherson, Luhansk and Zaporizhia in the south and east that it either partially occupies or fully controls. In the eastern city of Bakhmut, where fighting has raged for nearly a year, photographs and videos show seemingly endless blocks of bombed-out buildings. Hiroshima, Japan, President Biden began a foreshortened Asia trip on Thursday in Hiroshima, a city symbolic of the horrors of armed conflict, for a summit with his allies expected to be dominated by discussion of how to better arm Ukraine as it enters its counteroffensive against the Russian invaders. 
The meeting of group of seven nations leaders that starts on Friday comes at a critical moment for President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine, his country and the core Western democracies now seized with an urgent mission of bringing about what Mr. Biden calls the strategic defeat of Russia in Ukraine. Mr. Biden often says that Russia is already defeated. But the fear permeating the seven large democracies here is that unless the counteroffensive proves highly successful, Ukraine will settle into a bloody, frozen conflict in which the best hope would be an armistice, reminiscent of the one that brought a halt to fighting on the Korean peninsula 70 years ago this summer. That seemed almost impossible to imagine in 1997 when President Bill Clinton and Prime Minister Tony Blair of Britain invited Russia to become a full member of the group, expanding it, for nearly two decades, into the G8. Russia was suspended after its annexation of Crimea in 2014, and it withdrew from the group three years later. Now, with his troops already seeking to destroy Russian weapons depots ahead of the counteroffensive, Mr. Zelensky just completed a series of rapid-fire visits to European capitals to shore up support for continued heavy spending on armaments and aid. He is expected to address the leaders in Hiroshima virtually, but there have been behind-the-scenes conversations about whether to take the risk of bringing him personally to the other side of the world to make his case. Either way, he will have a large audience. In addition to India, the leaders of Australia, South Korea, Brazil, Indonesia and Vietnam will all be present as guests. It is part of a broader strategy by Mr. Biden and his allies to draw in nations that, to varying degrees, have been fence-sitters on the war, refusing to condemn Russia too harshly, to enthusiastically enforce sanctions or to supply weapons to Ukraine. Russian forces spent nearly a year carving a path of devastation and death in their bid to surround the city of Bakhmut in eastern Ukraine, and by March it seemed they were close to succeeding. The pincers are closing, said Yevgeny Prigazin, the founder of the Wagner mercenary group that spearheaded Russia's bloody drive. He was wrong. The pincers never closed, and now Ukrainian forces have pried them farther open, taking back territory north and south of the ruined city in a few days that it took the Russians many weeks to capture. Moscow's troops still hold most of Bakhmut itself, Ukraine's recent gains around the city are not large, and there is no guarantee that they will last. But for the first time in months, Ukrainian soldiers are on the offensive and the momentum in the longest and bloodiest battle of the war appears to have shifted their way, at least for now. Continued Ukrainian advances would reverse the situation of a few months ago, putting the Russians inside Bakhmut at risk of being surrounded and trapped, and would demonstrate that the deep, fortified lines the Russians have built across Ukraine can be breached. Success around Bakhmut would also provide a major morale boost for Ukraine and a serious blow to Russia, denying it the only military achievement that for months had seemed within its grasp. The possible reversal of fortunes comes as Ukraine is preparing to mount a broader counteroffensive, aiming for a dramatic breakthrough in a war that has settled into a grueling slugfest, with much blood spilled but little ground gained. While the dynamics around Bakhmut are somewhat specific to that battle, Ukrainian commanders say they hope to build on the lessons learned there when they try to attack in other places along the 600-mile front line. In early June, at the behest of the Biden administration, German leaders assembled top economic officials from the group of seven nations for a video conference with the goal of striking a major financial blow to Russia. Administration officials wanted to try to cap the price that Moscow could command for every barrel of oil it sold on the world market. 
Treasury Secretary Janet L. Yellen had floated the plan a few weeks earlier. The reception had been mixed, in part because other countries were not sure how serious the administration was about proceeding. But the call in early June left no doubt, American officials said they were committed to the idea and urged everyone else to get on board. At the end of the month, the G7 leaders signed on to the concept. As the G7 prepares to meet again, in this week in Hiroshima, Japan, official and market data suggest the untried idea has helped achieve its twin initial goals since the price cap took effect in December. The cap appears to be forcing Russia to sell its oil for less than other major producers, at a time when crude prices are down significantly from their levels immediately after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Data from Russia and international agencies suggest Moscow's revenues have dropped, forcing budget choices administration officials say could be starting to hamper its war effort. Drivers in America and elsewhere are paying far less at the gasoline pump than some analysts feared. Russia's oil revenues were down 43% in April compared to the same time the year before, the International Energy Agency reported last month, even though its total export sales volume had grown. Russian officials have been forced to change how they tax oil production in an apparent bid to make up for some of the lost revenues. They also appear to be spending government money to try to start building their own network of ships, insurance companies and other essentials of the oil trade, an effort that American officials say is a clear sign of success. The Russian price cap is working, and working extremely well, Wally Adeyemo, the deputy treasury secretary, said in an interview. The money that they're spending on building up this ecosystem to support their energy trade is money they can't spend on building missiles or buying tanks. And what we're going to continue to do is force Russia to have these types of hard choices.